0: This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Hey Amen. Well, I'm still up here. Uh, Zach is going to be gone the, this Sunday and next Sunday. He's actually back in the States visiting some family as well as going to a uh, missions conference uh, back towards Kansas or somewhere around that area. Um, And so we are able to continue on in our study of Ephesians this morning, and we're going to be finishing off the last part of chapter four that we started last week. Um, We kind of stopped in the middle of a section, and so we're going to pick that up this week as we continue in it. But the reality is, as we jump into it, we have to realize where we're at. So the book of Ephesians is not written with chapters and numbers like we see it today. It is a letter that is written from Paul to the church at Ephesus. It's meant to contain one coherent thought and be read together in one piece. And so as we split it up, it's something that we can do, but we have to remember the grand scheme of what's going on. And so as we look back through Ephesians, we realize the first three chapters, Paul has laid out a beautiful picture of what the gospel is, how we were chosen by Christ before the foundation of the world, how we were given the ability to be saved only by grace through faith and in Christ alone. And so and then last week, we were so, showed at the end of chapter 4 how Christ has done something else for us, how he has put off our old self and put on a new creation for us. Now, we have a new reality. We are made new people in the image of Christ in all righteousness and holiness, is what it said. And this, this new reality is something that we understand if you've ever gone through and become married. So you become a new person. You are married. You become a new person. You take on a new name. You guys are one together. You leave your father and mother and are joined with your wife or your husband. And for my wife and I, Morgan, we were married five years ago this May. And so, but the reality is that while some things change overnight because there is a new reality, like you don't just go get married and then we didn't just like go home, seal it, next date night, like just keep living our lives. There are things that changed immediately. We move in together. We do all these things that you would expect, but we also still struggle to live in that reality that we are new. We are married. We are now a new person. Um, And for my wife, this is something that she struggled with up until about a few months ago um, because she, every time we listen to music at our house, we connected to a Bluetooth speaker and it has been almost five years of marriage and up until probably a couple months ago, every time she would connect her phone, I would have to listen to the speaker pronounced to the whole house now connected to Morgan Ducey's iPhone. And it drove me nuts because it has been four years since she was ever known as Morgan Ducey. That is her maiden name. Her name is Morgan Culbertson, legally, as well as what she tells people. And I get that it's a little thing that drives me insane, but the thing is, what if she was actually going around telling people that her name was Morgan Ducey? It'd be a little bit different. Or what if she walked around without her wedding ring on while she told these people these things? Now, the truth is, would that change anything of her new reality? Would that change that she is Morgan Culbertson, that she is married to me? No, honestly, it wouldn't. None of, those, none of those actions and the way that she's acting would change the reality of her new person, but it would grieve me as her husband. It would make me very, very sad and more annoyed than I get with her Bluetooth speaker. And that's the reality of what we have to look at as we look to Paul's letter. We're going to look that we have been made a new creation, but it's still a process. And Paul's going to show us these three things this morning about what it looks like to live as a new creation, to live as those made like Christ. But we have to understand that we're not there yet. Like, we're not going to do it perfectly, but it doesn't change anything about who we are. He's going to actually tell us in verse 30 that we are still sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. But at the same time, we can still grieve the Holy Spirit in how we live. And so Paul's going to show us that as we seek to become people that live more like Christ, as we seek to see our progressive sanctification moving forward, our conformity with Christ grow, we're going to see our lives changed and transformed in three ways. He's first going to show us that we should be transformed in how we speak to one another. He's going to show us that we are to be transformed in how we deal with conflict, specifically in our anger. And then he's going to show us that we should be transformed even in our motivations when we go to work. And so if you'll stand with me out of reverence for God's word, we're going to open to Ephesians chapter 4 and reading verses 25 through 32 this morning. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. May he bless it for you and for me. You may be seated. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, as we first look at this, the first thing we see Paul tell us is that if we are to live like Christ, we should speak like Christ. And he says this in verse 25 and 29, starting out with, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul's saying, stop all the lying. Stop living in the lies. That's the way of the world. That's the way that you used to live, but you have been redeemed. You are made new. There is a new reality which we live into. And I think for all of us, we understand that we have a world surrounding us that lives in lies full lies, half-truths, our world is built upon them. You don't have to look any further than if you turn on any television program, you're probably going to see nothing but CGI and airbrush technology. You're going to see a commercial that might tell you that your life would be so much better if you just had this one more thing. If you go to social media, you're going to see not someone's real life, but you're going to see a glossed-over version of themselves. You're going to be putting out a glossed-over version of your own self, not the reality of what things look like in your day-to-day. Or how about when we come to church or when we go to small group? I would bet someone asked you this morning how you're doing, and like me, you probably responded, I'm good. Because I'm good is easier to say than I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. I'm good is easier than saying that I'm in conflict with my spouse. I'm good is easier than letting people know that I'm drowning in the struggles of parenting a toddler. That the, Paul is telling us that we are people that are one of another. We have been made into a body, and he has gone through and shown us how we are all the body of Christ. We are meant not to live in falsehood, but we are meant to live in truth. We are to throw off those old things and to join together and to share with one another. Think of it this way as a body, if your physical body lied to itself, how well would you be doing? Like, if, have you ever walked across like a suspension bridge? Like one of those like old rickety things with like wood planks. Well, my wife and I used to live in Birmingham, Alabama, and we would go hike at a place called Red Mountain State Park. And they have one there that's kind of a smaller one that goes to this little overlook. Um, and I'm not going to lie, it doesn't look like the park set it up. Like it looks like a weekend warrior project. And so like it doesn't look that safe. Um, and going across it, I'm not someone that has a fear of heights, but I also have a healthy fear of not falling. Um, so, like, I do the classic thing that like, I would assume anyone else would do, you kind of give it like the half step, like push on it with one foot, like, okay, that one will hold, we're good, that one will hold, we're good, move on slowly and slowly and slowly across this bridge. But imagine if my foot decided that it just wasn't dealing with my head, like, I'm going to lie to you, I am done with you. And so my foot feels the next rung and it's like, eh, it probably won't hold me. And my head's like, hey, how are we doing down there? The foot's like, oh, we're good, keep going. Like, what's going to happen? I'm going to fall. I'm going to die. My foot and my head are both messed up. Like, it has hurt both the foot and the head to lie to itself. And Paul has shown us that we as a church are meant to be a body together. We are united together. We are to build one another up. We, when one of us suffers, the rest of us suffers. And so Paul says we need to stop living in falsehood with one another, but speak truth because we are one of another. We are people that are meant to come into our small groups, into our community, into our family in Christ, and share what's going on. Because these are the very people that want to pray with you. These are the very people that are willing to walk through those things with you. These are the very people that want to be with you, to grow with one another. We don't want to just pull the planks out of our own eyes, but we also want to pick the specks out of each other's and do it in a way that edifies the whole body together. See, Paul wants us to know that our words matter. But what Paul is talking about is not just putting off the falsehood, but you have to put on something new. Not just speaking in truth rather than lies, but you have to speak words that are edifying. See, Paul doesn't ascribe to Mama Culbertson's theology. See, my mom told me every day of my life probably, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And that was the thing I heard throughout my childhood and probably would have been through my adulthood as well. Um, But my mom, as great of a woman as she was, she is not saying what Paul is saying. Paul's saying that's not good enough. Paul's saying that as Christ, as these people that are made into Christ's image, we are called to edify one another. He says in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, so that it may give grace to all who hear. We are called to speak in the way that God spoke. God used his very words to create. And while none of us are God when we're created in the image of Christ, we are here to build up each other. We don't live like the rest of the world. We're not out here to tear other people down just to make myself look better. Because the reality is when we look at who we are, who we have been defined as in Christ, it doesn't get any better. The truth of the reality is when we look to what Christ has already done, we realize our safety, our security, we are signed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have the very presence of God indwelling in us, so why would I bother trying to pull somebody else down when I've already got everything I could ever imagine? No, instead we are to call each other out. We are to speak truth in one another that you are beautifully and wonderfully made, that you have been called into a purpose by God, that we are all made in His image and made to glorify Him so that we can worship Him together. Our words matter. Our speech matters with one another. And that's the first thing we should see being transformed when we're living in this new reality. But not only should our speech look different, Paul also wants to go on to show us that our conflict, when we are in conflict, it should look different than the rest of the world, specifically when we get angry. The next verse says, excuse me, it says, be angry and do not sin. And this presupposes that there's an anger out there that's not sinful, right? Right? Which kind of feels a little confusing because then you get down to verse 31 and he says, well, let all anger be put away from you. And so you're kind of left thinking, well, which is it? Do I put away the anger or is the angry okay and I just got to not sin within it? And the first part we have to look at is realizing that when Paul's talking about this appropriate anger, he's actually referencing all the way back to David in Psalm 37. It's the verse that we read this morning. And see, David has a reason to have appropriate anger. And the way you can define appropriate anger is something that is in response to pain, frustration, or disappointment. It's something that where you're angry not at a person, but you're angry at a situation that is out of your control. It's something that has gone on and happened to yourself that is unjust. It's not the way that it should be. And David is a great case of looking at this. If you remember last year, we walked through David's life in the book of Samuel. And David, as he writes Psalm 37, you have to think about all the things that have gone on in his life. He's experienced disappointment. He is supposed to be the anointed king of Israel, and yet he's running around in exile from his own people. He's not living the life he's supposed to live. David has experienced pain. See, David loved Saul dearly, and yet Saul's the very one trying to kill him. David has experienced great pain, and he's experienced frustration because time and time again, He's like, now is the time it should go right. Now is the time that I should see the Lord move and finally get what I was promised. And yet time and time again, it doesn't happen, even though David does all the right things. See, David has experienced this anger and frustration. And yet he is the one that tells us, he says, refrain from your anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. See, even David, though he's justified in his anger, recognizes that it's not something you can hold on to. Because as he holds on to his anger, it's going to turn to evil. Paul says the same thing here when he references to be angry and do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. There is a time when you have to get rid of it. Because otherwise, you give the devil an opportunity. Or another version of this would translate that you give the devil a foothold. You give him a strong place to grab onto and wreak havoc in your life. That's what anger does. And that's why Paul can say to put it off. But how do we put this off when we become so angry? Well, we look at what David did. David's not putting it off because of anything of how great David is. David's putting it off because he's reminding himself of the truth of who he is in God. He's reminding himself of the truth that I may not be where I'm supposed to be, but God's plans never fail. That even if it takes till the end of my life, God is going to fulfill his promises. Even if it takes until God comes back, he's going to win and the wicked won't perish. Wicked will perish. They will not win. And so David rounds himself in who God is. And we are to ground ourselves in who we are made anew in Christ. Our new identity is something that we look to, and that is how we are able to put off our anger. But again, we can't just put it off and leave it aside. We have to put on something new. And to see that, we put off, we get rid, of, get rid of our anger, and we put on what verse 32 tells us. We say, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So how do you not let the sun go down in your anger? How do you seek this reconciliation to be kind and to forgive? Well, if you've ever been in an argument with your spouse, you've probably heard these words, or if you've been, ever been in marriage counseling or done premarital counseling, I think every person references this verse of like, don't go to bed angry. Like that's the best advice I could give you. And yet we all probably have done it. I've probably done it in the last week, gone to bed angry. And But the reality is Paul's telling us that that's not right. But how are we supposed to get past it? How are we supposed to forgive and to be like Christ and give grace in these moments? Well, I want you to think about the last argument you had with your spouse, or if you're not married, your brother or sister or your friend. Think about what that argument was over. And I want you to answer one question for me. Is your spouse wrong? I hope you didn't answer that out loud, um, because the reality is it doesn't matter. The reality is that it does not matter if you're wrong, because if we're supposed to emulate Christ, we have to think, did Christ care if I was wrong when he reconciled with me? See, if it mattered to Christ whether we were right or wrong, we'd all be left dead in our trespasses. We were all left dead, and yet Christ came and reconciled with us even though He was right. Even though He had all the cards, even though He knew He was perfect and we were so fallen away, He chose to come all the way and reconcile. He chose to come and forgive us. He didn't ask us to meet, us half, ask us to meet Him halfway. He didn't wait for us to say, I'm sorry, first. He chose to come to die for us, to pay the penalty, and to reconcile us to him on his own accord. You see, he came and made us back with him. He fulfilled his end of the reconciliation on the day that he died and resurrected, even before we turned to him, even before when we were still enemies of him. And that's what it looks like to put away our anger And to not let the sun go down on it. It's looking to how Christ reconciled and being that person to our spouse, to our neighbors, and to our friends. It's being that person that's willing to say, I'm sorry, first. It's being that person that's willing to go all the way. I'm not demanding you meet me halfway. I'm not trying to compromise. I'm here to seek reconciliation. I'm here to give grace because grace has been showered over me time and time again by my Lord and Savior. We are called to live like Christ in our new identity, and He is a God of grace. He is a God of reconciliation. But not only are we transformed in our speech and in our conflict, we also see Him practically transforming our motivations as we work. Look at verse 28. It says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. And I think for probably all of us this morning, you're sitting there going, I'm not a thief. I have a job. Check. Moving on. Let's go to lunch. But the truth is, Paul's not just interested in stop stealing. Paul's trying to get at the motivations of these thieves in Ephesus. And if you think about a thief, their motivations typically stem from one of two things. It's either laziness or it's greediness. Because Paul's talking to people here that clearly could work. They could get what they need by working. That's why he calls them into work. And so for them, they're either choosing that they don't want to work as hard as they need to, but they still want to provide for themselves, and so they're lazy, or they're greedy enough that they're working and getting all they deserve, but they still want more. They're greedy. And if you want a personification of what laziness and greediness to the fullest extent looks like, then you can come over to my house and meet my dog. See, my dog Chachi is one of the laziest and greediest individuals I have ever met in my life. My dog is so lazy because he has a food and water dish that are almost always fully filled. And yet every night almost, you'll catch my dog trying to drink out of the toilet in our bedroom simply because he's too lazy to go down the stairs or leave the air conditioning. He would rather drink out of the toilet water than have to move. But similarly, if you've ever come over and had dinner at our house, you realize that his full bowl of food is sitting right next to the table and it is full. And yet if you sit down to dinner, he is going to sit and stare into your soul the entire time you were there, begging you to give him some food from your plate. And if you have the audacity to not give him food from your plate, but go and leave food on the table, I walked into the other room the other night only to hear my dog barking incessantly come in thinking maybe he's got to go out to the bathroom, maybe there's a cat that got in our backyard again. No, he's barking at me and staring at the table because I left food there, and he believes it's his. That's how greedy my dog is. See, he only thinks about himself. He's so greedy, lazy, and self-centered, and that's the attitude that Paul is attacking here. See, Paul's not interested in just becoming law-abiding citizens. Paul's interested in us living like Christ, and so he calls us into work, not just to stop committing crimes. Paul doesn't want us to just stop being lazy. He doesn't want us to just stop being greedy. He wants us to be able to work and work out of an abundance so that we have something to share with one another, that we have something to share with anyone who has need. This is the way of our new identity. This is what should define us as Christians in the world when we go into our workplaces. We should be people that work as hard, if not harder, than everyone else around us because we know what we're working for. We're working for the ability to share grace with the world around us in the same way that Christ did. See, Christ had all the riches in the world, and yet he chose to come for us. He chose to shower us with grace upon grace so that we could experience that with him forever in his kingdom. He didn't have to do that but he chose to do that. He is a gracious God out of his love. We are supposed to be able to be gracious to one another. We are to work for those that cannot work. We are to work for those that work every day and still can't make ends meet amongst us. If you think of the church in Acts, you realize a church that does this so well. Acts 2.45 tells us that they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Acts 4.34 says that there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Again and again, we see this attitude that they are working and working in Acts, not because they want to work today and not have to work tomorrow. They're not working this week so that they can take next week off. They're working each and every day. They're trying to accumulate these things so that they have something to share with those in need. They're trying to display Christ through their graciousness. They're trying to display Christ through the abundance that they can accumulate, not for themselves, not for their own families, not for anything that would make them feel good about themselves, but it is so that they can share the love of God. So that when someone asks you, why would you give that to them? You can give them a reason. See, I'm not telling you that you need to go be like the church in Acts and sell everything you have. That would be ridiculous for me to stand up here and say, but the truth of the matter is, what are our motivations when we go to work? What is our motivations when we're at work? Are we sitting there simply thinking, I just want to clock in and clock out? Are we sitting there thinking, I just want to get this done so I can get to the weekend and rest? Are we sitting there thinking, I just want to get to the point when I can finally retire and be done with it? Or are we sitting there thinking about all the ways that God has blessed us, all the ways that we can shower others with our grace, all the ways that we are accumulating these things that display God to the world around us, that we are living in this new identity we have, and it is an identity of a God that is forever gracious. That is what it looks like to live with motivations that are transformed and living in our new identity. And like me, you're probably sitting here thinking, but the reality is I don't want to do that. I kind of like my stuff. I kind of like my things. I do get angry, and I feel like I should be angry. I do speak a harsh word to my kid when she can't go to bed at night. I do get upset. I don't live in this reality. I don't live in the fullness of my new identity. Well, the reality is, of course you don't. Of course I don't. Because it's not an identity that we are done perfectly. We're not a fully finished work yet. One pastor said it this way, we are not all we could be today, but we are also not what we once were. That is our goal each and every day as Christians, that we are saved and we know what we are going to be one day when we are glorified. We will be perfect. We will be full in our righteousness and our holiness with God, living in a place that is beyond imagination, in his presence. But we also understand that we're not the people that we were yesterday. We're not living in the same sins every day, day after day after day. Because we're coming and we're confessing our sins like we did this morning. We're confessing that we are broken people in need of a savior. But we're not just confessing that we are sinful, we're also turning from it. We're seeking to turn off, to throw off our old self and live in the new reality that we have. You see, while this progressive sanctification is a peace that comes only by the presence of the Holy Spirit, it is something that we are called by Paul to take part in, to desire it, to want it, to ask to be made new day in and day out. We come and we ask and ask again for new desires. We seek and seek again ways that we can reconcile. We knock and knock time and time again for ways that we can become more and more like Christ and be gracious. Because the Bible tells us when we ask, when we seek and we knock, the door will be opened. God will give us new desires. He will change our hearts. He will make us more and more in conformity with Christ. We will become more of the people that we already are defined as in the eyes of the Father. We are already identified and seen as righteous through Christ's righteousness. And yet we are given the ability to continue to grow and to learn more of what that looks like. See, we can't just sit here and be like, you know what? I was saved. I'm good. I'm pretty content with the amount of sin I have compared to the amount of not sin I have. That would look like foolishness. That is sitting there and grieving the Holy Spirit. That is sitting there and giving the devil a foothold. That is like going and claiming that I am married, but then refusing to live in anything that would display it. I continue day in and day out grieving my wife because I refuse to allow myself to live in the new identity that I have formed as her husband. And we have a new identity as we are married to Christ as his bride. We are people that are made in Christ's image. We are people that daily are being transformed through the Holy Spirit and given the opportunity to live in a way that glorifies God. Becoming more like Christ in our speech, becoming more like Christ in the ways that we seek to resolve conflict, that we seek to put off anger, and in the ways that we seek to change and transform our motivations to be gracious in the way that Christ has been gracious for us as our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to open your word. We thank you that your word is truth, and given to us for all righteousness and godliness, that we are able to come time and time again to look at it as the mirror of what your law is, to see that while we are not the ones that achieve anything on a part of our salvation, that you have done it all for us, but we are able to look at your law and to see how you are transforming us. God, allow us to seek to be people that would love you in a way that we desire not to grieve you in your spirit, but that we are people that want to live in this new reality as your bride. Lord, allow us to grow this morning to seek conflict resolution with those in our lives. Allow us to seek to be able to speak words that would grow up and build up one another, that we would be bound even closer together as your family in Christ. And allow us to go out into this world as people that work not for ourselves, but for you and for your glory above all things, that we might be your ambassadors until the day that your kingdom would come and your will would be done forever, Lord Jesus. And it is in your name that we pray, amen.